Merry Christmas from the studio at the Codex Cantina, where we are back for our fourth year celebrating the Very Foreign Christmas series that we've been doing. Very French Christmas. Wee oui, wee. Oui. That's the extent of my French language yeah. abilities. <laughs> yeah. So maybe let's let's see where the night takes us. We usually like to have someone from the country on here to kind of talk to them about some of the traditions. But maybe let's talk about how does this book maybe differ from the other three? And I guess, you know, we have to start with what does Christmas mean to us? Because what we think of Christmas, we've learned looking at different cultures and such, doesn't always mean the same thing or have the same experience in other countries. So what's what's your take on what Christmas means to you, kind sir? I was talking to my wife about this the other day. And we started rattling off a whole bunch of adjectives for, you know, what is Christmas? And of course, the the big ones came up, family, uh, you know, presents, uh, what what do our families do? And then we kind of started like getting into the nitty gritty of like, is it, is, a, is an American Christmas really about consumerism today? Has it always been about that? Did it start when Coca-Cola reinvented the idea of Santa Claus and his image I don't know, but I think of it time with family, obviously. But then I, as we read these stories, there's a large element of religion that plays into Christmas, all different types of religion. And as I think about it, I feel like it's a time of rebirth and redemption. And that's what we see a lot of times in stories and movies. And I think that's good. I like that, that you get to kind of start over and that you get to do it with your family and friends, the people that you love. Yeah. Kind of, I was actually, so, so we didn't talk about this beforehand, but it's interesting that you bring that up because I was trying to think about the relationship between like religion and the holiday of Christmas, right? Because, um, like, like a lot of times you see those signs, like put the Christ back in Christmas, right? Uh, because it's perhaps some people have criticized it as to your point strayed too far from the religious, um, meaning per se of it is to more towards consumerism and other things. Right. And I was thinking about that because I was talking with my wife about like, man, we seeing great Christmas movies, right? Like things that you, you know, you want to watch every year, like home alone, uh, elf, right. For me, it's a wonderful life. I know that's not everybody's favorite, but like, if you think about like just what elf accomplished, how it became like a cl- a Christmas classic, but it really took out a lot of, religion symbolism religious ideas but it, it kept to your point that idea that you can be redeemed right like the, the old miserly grump can can see the joy and the connections with others and and to me that's kind of what christmas has become even though i know maybe it hasn't started there but it's interesting the the coupling effect that we have between the two almost in a sense and when you look at a lot of those christmas movies there is redemption there is love, family, all the things we kind of mentioned, but there's also, uh, I guess like with, with Elf is, it's that story of forgiveness that Buddy forgives his father and his father, the old curmudgeon, the Grinch of the story is, you know, redeemed through love and through family. And, and I, I like that. I think that's great. And I think that's what a lot of those Christmas movies give us hope. Uh, you know, at a time when it's cold and it's dreary and dark and, you know, the sun sets at four o'clock, it, it's uplifting to have these good emotional feelings in a time of like death, right? I mean, everything's kind of died around us unless you're living in the Bahamas or Florida. Though, so it, it, it's good to have those wonderful feelings. Yeah. 
So in terms of what this book is, something that I've noticed I really enjoyed in, I think the Italian and in German one both had it is they had some poems, right? And they even had like an excerpt from a play, which was really good. I like the exploration of different narrative styles for how to tell a story. I noticed, I don't know if you noticed, but it's pretty much all straight prose stories, except for that last one, which was maybe kind of like a movie I don't want to say it was like a screen right kind yeah. of, but it was, it was definitely not formatted the way that it typically is for a movie, but it definitely was written for that in a sense with the cues and like the narratives versus the dialogue tags and stuff like that. So I would definitely say this is more straightforward and something I've noticed in this book too, is, you know, that religious aspect you did have I think depending on the writer, right? Some some of the writers clearly <laughs> were writing definitely more towards the religious ideas. But you have like those elements of them to going to like midnight mass, right? Uh, the, the big get together for food tended to be Christmas Eve, not Christmas Day a lot of times in this. And also leaving the shoes out like on the fireplace and stuff like that. So you did see lots of like cultural elements that are unique to the to the French culture that you don't typically see in American stories, basically. And it comes back to that idea of consumerism, right? Our stories are definitely a lot more person-centric than religious-centric. When you look at Scrooge, when you look at the Christmas story, getting the Red Rider BB gun. Uh, and, and as I look at this book, it definitely felt less unique. And I don't want that to be like a negative criticism. But from the other three that we've done, this one, yeah, was very straightforward. It was just a shot of, what, 12 or 13 uh, basic stories, lots of heavy religious elements with, you know, the juggling monk and, uh, you know, St. Anthony and his pig. Uh, so a, a lot of this was revolving around the religious, which again, is not bad or negative criticism, just different than the other three that we've done before. And I really wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Now we're, remind me, going into this was the only author that you knew, Guy de Montpensant. Yes. Yeah. He was the only one that I had read anything from before. That's correct. Okay. And then coming out of this, did you have any that were kind of like standouts like, oh, because because there's a like three, I think, from one guy. Uh, you had only one female author at the end, but she had the one that was the most experimental, kind of interesting and such. D did you have any authors in here that, that kind of stood out to you when you were reading them? I, I did enjoy several of the stories. Um, one that kind of stood out to me was the I Take Supper With My Wife by Anton Gustave Droves. I'm sure I'm butchering that, and I apologize to all of our French viewers. Uh, that one I thought was really funny, how it took the idea of having like Christmas Eve dinner or Christmas dinner and turn it into like this play date between this very, you know, uh, romantic couple. And I thought that was kind of cool. Um, my wife and I don't have children. So if we didn't go to family's dinner, if, you know, uh, we didn't have friends to go visit or something. And it was just she and I, you know, having Christmas Eve or Christmas dinner, what would that look like? Would we do a big dinner? Would we order out? Would we, you know, nuke something in the microwave? Would we get dressed up? Would we dance? Would we watch a Christmas movie? And I really like that idea of the romanticism that Christmas can bring out well as well. Did you like the, uh, and I'm going to be like you with the pronunciation, like the Francois Cope. I don't know how to pronounce the Copé, Copi, Copia, uh, the Francois stories, basically. So probably the standout for Copé is the wooden shoes of the little wolf. I think that's probably the one that's most relatable, right? In that story, we see the, the, the child that has nothing 
give up the only thing that he has to a lesser unfortunate child and that end up being an angel or uh, an embodiment of Christ. And so he's rewarded for that, for his good deed. And that's kind of relatable. I mean, I think that's something that you see in a lot of movies. And you see that, I think, a lot in society. Those that sometimes have the least amount are the most giving. And that's a good message. I think that's a great message. That's a good Christmas message. It's basically the same story as The Lost Child, too, right? You had the little, you, you had Ebenezer Scrooge, essentially, the Godfroy, who's the rich guy, who lost his child and then was like ready to give up everything to find the child again, right? And then when he found him just being graciously cared for by a guy that had nothing, a guy with no money, and he was given money equally to this rich kid as his own son, just so that he would have a great Christmas because he didn't know when, you know, he could get a hold of the dad to come get them. Um, it kind of gave you like that idea of giving it's the same idea of, of, of why do you give, do you expect something in return? Right? Like, like there's, there's a question, right? D did this guy <laughs> know that the kid was rich? The answer is absolutely right. Like he saw the rich shoes and put presents in both. Right. Did he expect something in return? Possibly the pessimist in us, right. Would say, well, yeah. he might expect something there as well. And I imagine with a little bit more of a finesse, if you were to make this into a movie, you can you'd probably want to make it more of a surprise for this guy to make it obvious that he was just giving for the sake of giving. Uh, I read it that way because, you know, me, I am the eternal optimist. <laughs> but but it's kind of the oh, same yeah. story yeah. between the two. Right. <laughs> very, very similar. Indeed. So then did you not like the. Um, the, the the door one, the one where he gives the coin Well, he picks up the coin goes gam that's the one where he picks up the coin goes gambling comes back from he stole it from a little girl that was dying yeah. and freezing and he didn't get back in time essentially the girl had frozen to death even though he won all of his riches and was planning on sh you know eventually sharing the wealth with her that one felt a little reminiscent of like scrooge i remember in the movie uh the the homeless guy freezes to death and you know scrooge feels bad about it after the fact, and I guess that's the thing is, if you're a good person, you don't ever have to be put in that situation. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Your normal everyday person feels bad after the fact after they've done something, but you shouldn't do something. And I guess it comes back to the idea of, again of being redeemed. I don't think I read it that way. I read it as you shouldn't put off. Like it's kind of like it's it's if you delay giving back, being gracious, being kind to your fellow man, it might be too late. So don't put it off, right? And this guy was constantly putting it off for the idea of more wealth, more gain. Replace that with the workaholic, right? Like, oh, I got to work so hard so I can have lots of money for retirement. Whoops. And then they might not have enough money or maybe they pass away or find out they have some terrible illness where they can't enjoy that retirement because they, they let their life pass them by. Right. It's it's a kind of like that idea of, you know, never lift look like let a moment slip by with a loved one that you could have enjoyed their company with, essentially. Yeah, I understand that. Also, I think about brings up a good point of when is it that you should enjoy life and give away things in your life? And that brings me to the, the second story is St. Anthony and his pig, and he's tempted to basically eat his friend when he's so hungry uh, to eat the pig because he has nothing to eat. 
and he doesn't, is that a lesson of that you should know when to give or when to take? I don't know. How, how did you take that one? Well, that was like the temptations of, of Christ essentially to me. No. Oh, okay. Right? So you, the religious again. Yeah, totally. Like he, he was not going to sell out the friend for the materialistic pleasure, if you will, uh, putting, putting a relationship forward over some type of, uh, gluttonous immediate gain essentially, right? Like a lifetime of friendship as opposed to a good meal, right? Like that, that seemed like kind of the point to me. Okay. And then to kind of switch gears, we have the, the two soldiers and spoiler, the one, like I'm guessing dies in the end. And what what did you think of that one? It was like really sad. Uh, I didn't feel very uplifting Christmas how I would want uh, an American Christmas story. <laughs> um, you know, obviously these two are meant to kind of juxtapose against each other, the optimist versus the pessimist. And, you know, what I thought was actually kind of interesting of the story was not necessarily the moral discussion there so much as like the, there's, there's a lot of wartime in, 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 I've noticed in this book too. And, and I think we saw that in the Germany book as well. But in terms of like the idea of how war can sometimes bring out the worst in humanity, that it's these moments that we share, or even, you know, there's that other story where that guy that was like a, a Christian prayed at the Arab, uh, like he, he learned, like he, I think he was with the Muslims, wasn't it? Or he, he prayed with a different religion was the point, right? It's the idea of uh, that small moment, finding your humanity and not getting lost ideally in, in these bigger you know, forces that bring you along essentially. All right. So I guess that takes us to kind of, I guess to me are the big three and those are the uh, Guy de Maupassant and uh, Irene Nervershevsky. I apologize, ma'am. Uh, those are probably the like standouts, right? Th those are the ones that I would quote are, if you're going to pick up the book, maybe start with those. If you're not going to read the book in its entirety, I mean, the whole thing is only like a hundred pages. What, what are some of your takeaways from those three stories? Um, well, don't forget about the juggler of Notre Dame too. I like that one. It reminded me a lot of the Milton on his blindness poem. The idea that this, this juggler left the profession of being a oh, juggler yeah. to become a monk, if you remember. And it was kind of funny, right? He's like, oh, I could see the merits of juggling a coin on the end of a pencil with my nose. Like, <laughs> there's some there's some rather humorous parts there. And it's at the end, they see him juggling in front of this Mary statue, even though he's like an incompetent monk and can't do the things in the monk way. And they're like, they're going to scold him. And that's when they see, you know, Mary come down and, and bless him, I think, essentially, or something like that. It's the idea that oh, we yeah. we all have gifts to share with the world, right? And learning how to express yourself through that gift is more important than trying to be something you're not sometimes. Yeah, oh yeah, that one was good. It kind of reminded me of uh, Tolstoy, right? The way that, you know, there's different ways to worship. There's different ways to live your life. Mm -hmm. And just because mm -hmm. one person feels like they have it figured out doesn't mean everybody does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Irene first because... I think it's the only female in this collection, right? Yeah, yeah. She's the uh, only female author, which, I mean, on the front of the cover, it boasts the greatest French holiday stories of all time, and they only include one female. And she is a relatively modern writer. Um, she was uh, Jewish, and she moved to France, lived a majority of her life in France, and she would not take French citizenship. So when World War II broke out, 
um, she was undeclared Jewish person. So she, uh, she ended up in a concentration camp and I don't remember what disease she died of, um, very young, like in her thirties or something. So very, very sad and a little bit felt underrepresented, uh, in the, uh, the French classics. I don't know a lot of French women writers, but there's, I feel like there's got to be more <laughs> than just one that's uh, famous and noteworthy enough to put in their books. So maybe they'll have, maybe they'll put out a part two. But uh, the the story is one of the longest in the book. Um, it's good. It's it's very unique. Uh, what what did you think of it? I think it was one of my favorites, if not my favorite of the book. I think it was up there with with that monk and juggler one, just because I thought it was entertaining. I, I kind of broke them up into little spits every day. I actually just read that one today, so it's also the freshest on my mind. I thought it was the most interesting, the way it explored narration techniques, right? Like it wasn't straight script. It wasn't straight prose. It was kind of this in-between jotting down of ideas of what you wanted to see. And then I can kind of picture things pretty well, the way it was like directing you to say, okay, cut, fade to black. Now show, see a tree being dragged across, a montage of pictures. I kind of got to create my own little uh, movie in my head with this one, which was nice. It reminded me the story itself was was decent. I, I cared about the characters, which is, I think, what matters the most. A lot of times with short stories, okay. you may or may not care about the characters. I, I did care about these characters. I thought they were good people. Um, I think it was a little bit of the young Goodman Brown story, right? The, uh. the There's the impropriety propriety that we all condemn but behind the scenes, a lot of us are committing these sins, right? And you know, <laughs> same the fa- thing, yeah. The father's hiding it, mother's dancing with this Argentine woman. Uh and, and the and the poor daughter, right? Like if she gets caught having this baby out of wedlock, she's gonna have like a, a ruined social standing, right? And she seems to be like it, what 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 was captivating for me about the story is the way she struggled through that of I can't have this baby, it's gonna ruin me. I love Ramon. And then another guy, and then it was a little Prince Charming. The other guy comes along and says, well, I'll marry you. But, but the idea of her struggling becoming a, a torture device for her while everyone else is going through the same thing, it just, it gave me the young Goodman Brown problem. Or if you've read Anna Karenina, uh, a lot of those notes as well as how do you struggle with those personal, personal things that are torturing you. All right. Well, you have me excited to try reading again. In, in all honesty, I the last story in the book, I read the book from cover to cover in one sitting on a plane on my way to New York. So I think I might have been uh, a little tired, a little, you know, anxiety ridden excitement, you know, for my trip and uh, maybe just a little Christmas out at that point in time, reading them all straight. So I'll have to revisit that one and give it a fresh look because uh, I'm intrigued now to kind of play that movie through my head. To, to wrap up the Guy de Montpossant ones, I think... I don't know. Guy de Maupassant, he's, his writing is so lucid. It, it is so easy to read his stories. More difficult to understand. I don't know if I fully understood the point of some of these, like in terms of like the, the egg and the horror with the exorcism or this Henri character who basically picked up a, a pregnant prostitute and said he's never going to have suppers again because of, you know, his choices basically led to this type of suffering. Uh, but, but I think they were super easy to read, if not a little bit clunky with, with the messaging, I thought. I thought they were both really solid stories. Uh, the one uh, Christmas Eve I thought was hilarious, the way that the guy, and I'll, I'll just uh, quote here. He said, it only remained for me to see her face. A woman's face is the dessert, while the rest is the roast. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember that, but then not only that, like right before that, didn't he like, he's like, he's like, serve it. 
bring me out the the Christmas Eve dinner. And then again, there's that Christmas Eve dinner, which seems to be bigger in French culture. But he's like, the oysters, the the roast. And then he like lists yeah. like five, six, seven, eight different things. Like like they bring out so much food, which I was kind of chuckling at too, for, for two, right? And, and of which he didn't even know who the date was yet at that point. <laughs> Yeah, and he picks up this pregnant girl that he doesn't even realize is pregnant. And I, I think there's a good message there that, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. And, you know, that, that even though he, he kind of gets swindled, he does the right thing at the end. And, uh, you know, he kind of learns his lesson of, you know, maybe he was picking women for the wrong reasons of just based on their looks and not who they were because he kind of gets bamboozled by this, you know, picking. He likes, quote, stout women. And, you know, he picks this, you know, larger set woman and she ends up being pregnant i don't i, I thought it was it was, a, it was a good story and i thought it was really funny yeah well you know, we've read um remember the, the the what was it called the diamond necklace and your takeaway if i remember correctly was like you, you definitely dove more into like how did Montpensant represent male chauvinism right you you thought it was definitely a interesting thing the way that he presented that the male kind of came first, that it was his expectations and his will to craft the scene and what happened. And the women just kind of wanted to something for themselves, but they are always like kind of like put on the back burner. And you can see a little bit of that here too. And I wonder what was, you know, like Montpensant obviously, obviously had like a certain penchant for kind of drawing out that male chauvinism in his writing, which I think is kind of interesting. Definitely in that story, not so much in the other one, the miracle, a miracle, which, yeah, was a little bit more confusing. That one, as you said, was clunky, would be a great way to describe it. But I thought I thought the religious stuff, I thought you would have like gone off on a tangent on that one because it just seems so obvious that there's the temptation. I don't know, the egg, the apple. He brings it home. The wife eats the apple. Wife eats the egg. She gets possessed. The devil. I don't know. That, I, I figured the, the religious element was kind of there. Maybe, maybe I overlooked or maybe I underlooked. I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, it was there. I mean, obviously you have the, the Eve role happening, the snake coming in. Right. Um, and then obviously at the end, it's kind of interesting if, if you're going to go down that route, if you remember the priest was like, yeah, and we didn't write any of this down. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Though, like the very last quote is you can't force me to write it down. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Right. So, so then you have to start yeah. talking the the discussion of belief and also the discussion of biblical narrative, Right, the way that Genesis and the earlier uh, books of the Bible were written compared to the New Testament, which are kind of, you know, when you look at the New Testament, it's more of like the biographies of Jesus from four different people, almost in a sense, versus uh, the original uh, Old Testament had a lot more, a very different narrative style <laughs> in terms of of when it was, you know, recorded and, and how it was written and stuff like that too. So, so the fact that they they kind of played with that, I thought was was it was interesting for sure. Yeah, and I guess the the point of the Old Testament was more symbolism and allegories and what have you than giving the the count of someone's life. And uh, the, the, I thought the story did an, an okay job in presenting that. Mm -hmm. Well, remember you brought up Tolstoy earlier. He wrote that story called, uh, was it called the egg or the chicken and the egg? The idea how each generation became more and more decrepit and not as strong. And it was because like their faith and moral values weren't as strong as the previous. Uh, and also played on that idea of Genesis, where if you remember, like didn't they live for like seven or 800 years or something like that. Yeah. And then it kept kind of getting shorter and shorter because of the depravity. If I remember correctly, I, it's been like four years since we've read that story. 
So I'm trying to trying to draw something here from four years ago, <laughs> but, but you had a similar idea here too, right? Like, like, yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it was a fun story, but I, I, I don't think it was as strongly woven to get, not as sharp, I guess, as some of the other stories we've read that play in that space. So looking at the book overall, now that we have four of them, are we going to wait till maybe we have a full rounded five before we like start ranking them? You know, if like, hey, start with hmm. this one, start with this one. Is that fair? I, I think to be fair to rank them, I got I to kind of like refresh my memory of each of the stories. I can tell you right now, without even the refresher, it's really just to refresh the German and the Italian ones. Because I remember the Russian ones, because a lot of those I had read before, which is also a little yeah. bit unfair because I've read them a couple times. But right now, obviously, the Russian one stands out as the strongest to me. But also, it's also unfair because I know a lot more about Russian culture than I do about French, Italian, or German culture. Um, so does this, no, go ahead. ahead. Yeah. So with that being said, does this kind of have these stories done their job of inspiring you to want to learn more about Christmas culture in France and we can find a, a book tube French friend? (laughs) I'd love to talk to someone from France. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I would like to have those stories, you know, because we have these stories from a culture that may not be relevant anymore, you know, from hundreds of years ago, where we talked to somebody that lived in the 1980s, 90s, in the early aughts of what was Christmas like growing up in France? You know, again, is it the same as, you know, we talked about, you know, in Italy, where uh, the Christmas Eve dinner or even like lunch is more important than, you know, we, you know, our, our, most of our families usually do, you know, Christmas dinner is the big thing and, or, you know, presents are a Christmas Eve thing. And then the stockings are Christmas day and just, yeah. I mean, do you feel the book has uh, inspired you to, to want to know more? I'll tell you what, it inspired me with that last author that Irene, um, and I'm not really sure how to pronounce her name. I'll take it too. I'll take a stab at it. I think Nemirovsky. I mean, that sounds like a Russian last name, honestly. I should say Eastern Eastern European. That was good. Good enunciation. We're going to go with that one. Okay. I would read something from her. I think her writing was the most inspiring. I came into this knowing very little about French writers. Uh, Francois, I would read more from him because I think, I think his stories kind of reminded me of that Tolstoyan. He had a clear point that he would always write to. Like, I think he's the type of writer that like his ending was already figured out. And then he wrote the rest of the story. Right. Versus maybe Irene, she might have a problem and she's exploring it with the character. So it's like different, it's totally different styles, but I would be more interested in definitely checking out those two authors. So if, if success is more interest in the authors of the country, then yes, for sure. As far as the stories go, like the, I, like these particular selections compared to the other four books, I know this was my least favorite of the four we've read so far. All right. I would agree with that. Is, is Francois the guy's name that's France? That's his last name. No, the Cope, the the one with the. Oh, oh, the one the, the one person's last name. His name is France. Oh, <laughs> the, you know, and... Francais. <laughs> oh no no, the Anatole. I just showed Anatole. my American ignorance. Yeah no, I, I join I join you, and then we're very open about that. Uh, hey, we're yeah, trying. But, no, but his story was really good. If not. Um, to me, I think you could almost read Milton's on his blindness and have the exact same thing. I think this one's a lot more entertaining than Milton's and Milton's is assigned a lot more in schools too. I think this would be a good replacement for it for those looking to spice that up a little bit. Well, I look forward to our next foreign Christmas and hopefully y'all enjoyed the, uh, very French Christmas and 
Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Merry Christmas, everyone. Bye.